This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. My name is Tim Moser here, your host, coming at you from the Fargo Studios today. So happy you could join us. I hope you were with us the last half hour. We were talking with Father Shannon Bouquet from Human Life International. I believe the website is hli.org. Great guy, has a lot of great insights. Uh, Very, very readable how he writes. I love his articles. So if you uh, want some more information on all things life, and they're all connected, all connected, contraception, abortion, marriage, divorce, fertility treatments, euthanasia, it's all connected because it's all about the dignity of the human person. That is our uh, bottom line. So anyway, I'd like to thank him for that, and please go ahead and do that. Well... Let's talk about a crazy little thing called love, huh? You know, love, it's a word that's really batted around a lot, right? I love you. That's kind of famous, but I love ice cream. I love pizza. I love your car. I'm guilty of it too. I use those words. I do. And not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with it, but it does tend to water down the true meaning of love. And I want to talk about that want to talk about that a little bit. You know, all of us are called to love. That's the universal call. And um, I want to just do a little reflection on 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, that's the very famous love is patient, love is kind. You know part of that. But I really want to go into it. Think of it maybe in terms of a little Lenten uh, reflection, okay? Because I want to give you some very, very practical things. First of all, number one, the importance of love. I mean, Jesus talks about it, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. No greater love as someone than to lay down their life for a friend. Love one another as I have loved you. They'll know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Love of God and love of neighbor are the two commandments. It's the law and the prophets. That, that sums it all up. Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. Paul says, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what is love? When we go to 1 Corinthians 13, I want to go to one verse before that. Because and even one chapter before that, just for a little brief context. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the unity and variety of gifts, right? Many gifts, but the same one that gives, but the I can't say to the foot, I don't need you. What's the whole upshot of this? Holy Spirit has given us all different gifts. Some are prophets, some are teachers, you know, some are encouragers, right? Some interpret tongues, some speak in tongues. And the, the problem is this, and he talks about this in, first, in the very first part of Corinthians, is that people are getting stuck on themselves. Oh, look at me, I'm so good. Get inflated, right? He's saying, wait a minute, everyone's necessary, everyone is needed, but your gifts have been given by God. So he ends chapter 12 saying things like this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work mighty deeds? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And he says, strive eagerly for the greater spiritual gifts. But here's the line I want you to get. But I will show you a more excellent way. What's he saying? Well, look at your gifts. I've got gifts. You've got gifts. And we're called to use them in love for the good of others. Pope Francis has a great, great line here at, for Lent. I, I, I just love it. It actually is on a, um, a placard in the diocese. It says this. No act of virtue can be great if it is not followed by advantage for others. In other words, if you think you're doing a virtuous act, 
How does it actually help someone else? For instance, when I go to prayer and I'm praying for my wife or my child or whoever, is that affecting how I treat them? Am I becoming a better husband and a better father because of it? Am I being more patient? Am I being more kind? Am I being more loving? Or do I come home and, you know, I'm the ruler of this house and I'm a tyrant? Someone has to benefit from my prayer, from my almsgiving, from these type of things, right? From my fasting. And not just me. It has to be someone else. So what's this more excellent way of love? So what he's saying is this. Hey, let's just start. Because I'm going to run out of time already, I can tell. He says, if I speak in human and angelic tongues, notice tongues, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or clashing cymbal. Now, Romeo, our three-year-old son, on his little iPad, he's got this drum set. And I can tell you, a clashing cymbal, he loves it, right? When I look at my wife sometimes, I go, honey, just, and we kind of look at each other because he loves it. It's so distracting. It's, 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 it's kind of irritating sometimes, right? And that's what we are, right? If I'm talking, talking, this is the talker. I'm talking all the time, talking in tongues, but I don't love. You should do this, you should do that, blah, blah, blah. That's nothing. He goes on. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries of knowledge, or if I know a lot, but I don't have love, nothing. He says, if I have faith so as to move all mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. Think about this. Great faith makes heroes, which is good, but great love makes saints. Saints are those that show heroic virtue, love. And he goes on to say, and this really touches on our three Lenten practices. He says, if I give away everything I own, that's alms, and if I hand my body over, fasting, so that I may boast, think of the Pharisees praying, standing there, oh, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like that, that tax collector over there. Ah, boasting. See, prayer, almsgiving, and, and um, fasting. I am nothing. I gain nothing. So now Paul goes on to talk about some positives and some negatives about love. Notice he talks about what love is and what love isn't. He says this, love is patient, love is kind. Let's talk about that. And what does that mean? If someone asked you, are you, are you a patient person, Therese, would you say? I mean, overall, yeah, kind of, sort of. But if I, if I get more detail, I'm going to talk about myself because you're probably more patient than I am. Am I patient with my wife, for instance? Do I totally listen to her? Let her speak her mind? If she's doing something that irritates me, do I get irritated or do I just look at her and love her? Or my son or my coworker or, or a person you don't like to be around? Am I patient with them? Hmm. I got to say not always. <laughs> I got to say I got some work to do there. I got to say that I don't truly love then as much as I should because I'm not as patient as I should be. I'm not as kind as I should be. I was going to separate patient and kind, but... In the interest of time, I'm going to lump them together. So, are we listening? Are we not interrupting? Are you, or I, I love this one too, because I do it sometimes. Are you listening, quote unquote, to someone, but you have this idea? Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, right? Yeah, you're loud and Therese. Like, yeah. Of course, you're right, Therese, in what you're going to say. But we're not really listening to that person, are we? That's not really being patient and kind. Paul goes on to talk about now how some things love is not. He says, love is not jealous. 
Let's talk about that a minute. Jealous, envious. Okay, now they're a little different. Jealous just means you want what someone else has. Envy means you want to take them down. It's a little worse. But let's talk about two uh, um, examples we all know. Let's talk about Cain and Abel. Okay, Cain was envious of Abel, right? Abel gave the best that he had. It talks about giving his first fruits. Well, Cain just gave an offering. And so God accepted Abel's fruits. And, and that's, that's the idea. That's what he wants from us, our first, our best. Some people say, I've got to give 10%. I like to look at it this way. God gives you 100% and he lets you keep 90%. That's pretty good. <laughs> so he was envious. And of course, we know what happened. Think about Joseph. Not St. Joseph, but think about Joseph in the Old Testament and his brothers. Okay, now, his dad, their dad, Jacob, right? He had two wives and two handmaids, so these, these 12 tribes come from four different women. But Jacob had first married Rachel. That was his wife. That's the one he wanted for his wife. Of course, his uncle Laban snuck her sister, her sister Leah in the, the wedding night, and so he actually married Leah, so he had to work another seven years to actually marry Rachel. But the reason he loved Joseph so much was because Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. See, Rachel was infertile for many, many years. And finally, the last two sons he had were Joseph and Benjamin. So Joseph was, quote-unquote, his firstborn son from his, the, the wife that he really loved the most. You see what I'm saying? That's why Joseph was so special to him. Now, as a parent, because I only have one child, but if you're a parent of more than one child, you're not supposed to play favorites, but you kind of do in some ways, right? You know, Trez, I'm sure you're the favorite. You know, you're the nice. <laughs> but but the, the, the idea is this, getting back to this idea of jealous and envy. Of course, jo uh, Jacob made Joseph that coat of many colors, right? He, he treated him very special. So when Joseph went out to the field to find his brothers, remember, of course, before, right, he'd had these two dreams, right? They were going to bow down to him. They were going to serve him. And so he wasn't making good friends with his brothers. They were very jealous and envious of him already. When they see him coming, they said, let us take him, right? Let's see what his dreams take him. Now, let's kill him. Well, Reuben convinces him not to kill him, at least. But they do sell him into slavery. Now, think about Joseph, okay? He's down in Egypt. Now, God is with him. It makes clear in the Bible. God's with him. But he has a lot of trouble, Right? I mean, he gets accused of, of, of inappropriate activity, which he didn't do, from Potiphar's wife. He gets put in jail for many years. And when he's asked to interpret dreams, he said, God will interpret the dreams. He has a lot of troubles. And it never once says in there, he said, oh, if it weren't for my brothers, I wouldn't be here. You see? He doesn't hold a grudge. And in the end, I've got to cut the story short, but you read it in the last, last 10 chapters of Genesis or so. When his brothers find out, they go, oh my goodness, this is, this is scary. What is going to happen to us? Because Joseph now, and he says, don't worry. You meant it for ill, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. He did not hold a grudge. He forgave. And forgiveness is closely linked to love. When I come back after a short break, I'm going to talk about that link of forgiveness and love. I continue through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity? 
This can now be accomplished by establishing an individual endowment account in your name with a minimum gift of $10,000. A distribution will be made annually in your name to assure future generations will continue to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mission of Real Presence Radio. To learn more about establishing an individual endowment for Real Presence Radio, a gift which will last in perpetuity, please call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. State tax credits may apply in some states. Let's get started. If you have ever been through the hell of deep darkness and suffering, like the suicide of a loved one, do you know that your experience may be helpful to someone else? I'm Father Chris Alar. Mercy is defined as a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it does something about it. And when you exercise the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you are truly loving your neighbor. Jesus said, when a soul approaches me with trust, I fill it with an abundance of graces that it cannot contain it within itself, but radiates them to other souls. Let us show you how to be that radiator and find healing for yourself in the process. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone. Tim Mosier, your host here. We're talking about 1 Corinthians 13, all about love. Using Joseph as an example of forgiveness. He certainly had reason, we would think in our day and age, to be very, very frustrated with his brothers and hold a grudge. And he had the power over them. After all, they did end up bowing down to him as he said they would in their dreams. But he forgave them. A quick note on forgiveness and love. At Luke 7, 47, it's a great, great line, right? But it's Simon the Pharisee. Jesus is at the house. This woman who has many sins comes over. The Pharisees are going, oh, if he knew who this was, oh, you know. Of course, she's doing all these things, loving and showing him love, right? And Jesus says, because of her many sins, right, they're forgiven. She loves much. Now, I don't have time to get into the theological specifics because it's not important for our day and age. But there's two ways you can look at this. She loves because she's been forgiven or she's been forgiven because she loves. Well, certainly, God can only forgive. So it has to start with God. Everything's with him. But think about this for a minute. Think about this. Forgiveness and love. Really, we need to love in order to get forgiveness. Think about going to confession. We have to have true repentance. And that means we have to really love God and love our neighbor. Think about the act of contrition, Therese. Oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee. You detest all your sins because of that just punishment. Okay, but most of all, but what's most important? Because they offend thee, my God, who art all good and deserving of all my love. That's right. Love. That is the key. Open our hearts to love. Joseph loved his brothers. It says in the story, he cried several times. I can just, I can relate to him. He loved them. He missed them. Yes, he was sad for what they've done, but it's like when I look at my son, he's done something bad or someone else to forgive. 
When you really love someone, you forgive them. You do not hold that grudge. And that's love. Love is not jealous. Love is not envious. The antidote, humility and generosity. Love is not rude. Common courtesy, please, thank you. Withhold your criticism. Oh, I'd like to say this. You know what? I'm not going to. I'm not going to criticize my friend. I'm not going to criticize my wife. I'm not going to criticize my spouse. Don't pile it on. You know, if you're around a group of people, your friend does this, your spouse does this, and, oh, that's nothing. Listen to this. And it's, oh, my goodness. Throw someone under the bus. No. Don't be rude. Love isn't quick-tempered. Number four, love isn't quick-tempered, not easily angered. Think about the prodigal son, not the son himself, but think about the son's brother. His brother comes home, right, and dad's throwing a party, and instead of being happy, what's he? He's angry. He's quick-tempered. Now, granted, dad never gave him something like, but he's always had what's his. Instead of feeling great that his brother was lost and now was found, was dead, but now is alive, all he can think about is himself, and he's quick to do that. The remedy? Peace. Gentleness, self-control. Again, think about your own specific life. Think about someone in your family or a close friend that you sometimes fly off the handle with, whether it's a child, a parent, a sibling. Maybe practice more self-control. Maybe practice being more at peace. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Now, here is the hinge going back from what love is not to what love is. Notice it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoings, good, but it rejoices with the truth, the positive aspect. I'd like to say something about that, but I got to move on. Four other things, Paul says then. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Bears, no matter what comes your way, bear it. Bear one another's burdens. I'm so inspired. I go out and I play music at nursing homes. And when I see this husband and wife, been married for 50, 60 years, and to see the tender love and care that they show for each other. A lot of times one spouse is in great need and the other isn't. And so you see, you know, this either older woman or older man just helping their spouse, helping them to walk or or, or interpreting for them because they can't hear or, or feeding them. That is so inspirational to me. They're bearing each other's burdens. My spouse has a burden. They need help, and I'm going to do it. Believes all things. Have faith. God can do anything. Hopes all things. There's good coming. There is good coming, and endures all things. No matter what kind of long-suffering you have, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spousal relationship that is not going well, love endures it. And here's what puts the icing on the cake. And this is what really hit me and was the verse that really spoke to me when I was having trouble on my marriage the first couple of years in, about seven, eight years ago. Love never fails. If I really do love someone, now I can't control their actions. That's true. I'm not saying that. But what does love never fails mean to me, to you? It means that if you really love this person, you will be patient, you will be kind, you will not be envious or jealous or rude or quick-tempered. You'll bear, believe, hope, and endure everything. What's our example? Well, Christ is example par excellence, right? Joseph is a good example, but let's look at Christ. Did he not do all these things? I mean, Romans 5, Paul says, he proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. 
while we were still sinners. Can you imagine giving up your life for someone who just spits in your face, basically? You say, forget you. Jesus said, I love you. I forgive you. I redeem you. Who's the one or two people? Make a one. Who's the one person in your life that you could treat better, that you could love more? Interestingly, in the last half of 1 Corinthians 13, he goes back to those gifts. So these gifts kind of bookend it. He talks if there's prophecy, tongues, knowledge, right? They'll all fade away. Why? Because we only see partially now. He says when the perfect comes, ah, the perfect. When we love as Christ loves and we see as he sees, then we're going to see clearly. Because only fully clearly up in heaven. He talks about when he was a child. He thought as a child. I want to talk for just a second about being childlike or childish. And we should not be childish. That is thinking selfishly. That is thinking childish ways. But we do need to be childlike. Childlike means I trust God. I know he wants what's best for me. I totally am committed to him and trusting him as my father. I look at my son. You know, you have to work hard, but it's amazing when you see that level of trust they have. He's got this little airplane, and he spins the propeller, and he loves to run to me and then, or mom, or Veronica, and, and just grab us by the leg and want us to hold him because he's, quote-unquote, scared, you know? He trusts us. He trusts us. It's childlike. And that's the kind of faith that we have to have in God. It's so true so true. If we look at these gifts of love from 1 Corinthians 13, I think they're closely linked to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. There's nine of them. I'm just going to read them off quickly. But think about it if we're really loving. Now, the first one is love. But think, look at this. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, against this there is no law. And Paul writes in Romans, as he said, love is the fulfillment of the law. Are our lives bearing this fruit? Am I being gentle and generous with those around me? Not just with my money, generous with my compliments. One of the things I've struggled with over the years, I'm just going to tell you right now, is that when others do well, doing something that I can do, and they do it better, or they get notarized more, sometimes sometimes it just kind of gets me. I'm not going to lie to you. That's something I have struggled with. And my wife is so good at helping me with that. And what's helped me is to focus on my covenant, my marriage, my son. Because even though we might have the ability to do these things, the question is, are we called to do these things? And one of the biggest things that's helped me is to tell myself, if and when God calls me to do that, he will, he'll call me. But it's not about me saying, I'm going to do this and that. What's my focus? I'm called to be the best husband and father and my aging mom, son, I can be. That is what I'm called to do. And the cool thing is, when I focus on that, when I fulfill that to the best of my ability by the grace of God, when I pray about that, when I really just give of myself there, the love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, those fruit of the Spirit, they come bursting forth. And I'm so much more at peace and so much more joyful and so much more fulfilled than I'd ever be talking to thousands of people because I am putting my heart and soul into what I am called to do. Now, lest you think my wife lives with the saint, she does not. (laughs) I'm a work in progress. But God gives us these great, great instances, right? These great situations to go, oh, I get it, I get it. And now I can tell you, in all honesty, I'm much more at peace at waiting in God's call, God's way, God's time. If and when he calls me to do those other things that I would personally like to do. But I can tell you right now, focusing on what I'm doing with my wife and our son and my mom, my calling that I know I'm called to do, that covenant of love with Veronica and everything that flows from that, that is where I get the most joy and peace imaginable. So, a little reflection on love. Maybe read 1 Corinthians 13 a little bit. Go through it. Pick out one area. Patience, jealousy, rudeness, whatever it is. And you can do that. When we come back, we'll be talking with beauty and poetry. You're listening to A Real Presence Live. We'll be back right after this. (laughs) 